morning. I'm Randall Bradley, one of the ministers here. It's my pleasure to welcome you. Some of you have had a wonderful time on spring break, and I've seen on social media how wonderful a time you actually did have. Um, others of you probably wish you had a break and didn't, and you've kept on working. So we're coming today from all kinds of places, from all kinds of walks of life. But thank you for gathering here today at Calvary. We are in the midst of a Lenten theme, Lenten season, where our theme is pain. I'm not sure that you came to church today if you're new to Calvary expecting to talk about pain. It seems to me that pain is one of the things that in our culture we do almost everything imaginable to avoid. We um, suppress pain, we ignore it, we dull it, distract it, mask it, anything to take it away. We have pain relievers, pain management, um, we have food to take away our pain, to fill that empty pain spot, medications, alcohol, media, all sorts of things. But pain avoidance is something that most of us, if you're like me, are pretty good at. And yet today we're here to say, what do we do about this pain? And we're here to talk about it. I've often been intrigued by the differences I see in people's response to pain. It's intriguing, interesting to me, how one person can take pain and it be the end of them and it destroy them or even kill them. Another person has similar pain and somehow it fortifies this person and makes them stronger for the rest of their lives. So what happens? How is it that this happens? It seems to me that it is in our response to pain. How do we respond to pain? What do we do? And that's the difficult place, because while we have a community such as this one to surround us and to help us with the pain and to help us sort it out, ultimately it does come down to what is your choice, what is your response, what do you do with the pain that comes your direction. And that's what we're here today to talk about, is um, the pain and what do we do about it. So I say welcome to worship you might say, not so welcome. Um, <laughs> I wish I weren't here. I wish I weren't dealing with this. But it would be embarrassing for any of you to leave at this time, and we would take note of that. So, um, so um, you are, you're marked, so we are here, and we will do as we are to do. Let us now worship. Perhaps today will change your life. Think about that. Amen.
justice like mountains I soaring above, by clouds which are fountains of goodness and on the tree and wither and perish but not change join me in prayer. Our heavenly, loving, and gracious Father, we come before you this day to humbly ask that you comfort us when we experience moments of loneliness, that you be our shelter in the midst of storms in which we find ourselves, that you walk beside us every step of our path each and every day. Lord, at times we all feel alone, sometimes crying out for attention, sometimes finding ourselves in desperate moments, sometimes anxiously looking for some sort of acknowledgement or touch from just a single soul. We ask that you remind us that you are always there with us in such times, right at our side whenever we call, no matter the time, the hour, the situation. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So give us strength, God, when we feel so alone and helpless to carry on when we feel down and out and feel we have no one to turn to. Let us always remember that you are our eternal friend and companion in our times of need and loneliness. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. When I've left my people, my village, my safe place, and I feel alone, let me rest in your heart, my new hometown, where the light is always on. When my partner has left me, when my children are grown, when my career is over and I feel alone, show me your purpose, your guiding light. When my friends move away, when my group dissipates, when my trust dims and I feel alone, refocus my darkened vision. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I will not abandon you or leave you alone. Amen. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it Oh, oh, oh. 
A reading from the Psalms. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for me be put to shame. Let me be ashamed who are wanton treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus walked this lonesome valley. He had to walk it by himself. Oh, nobody else could walk it for him. He had to by himself. 
There's a saying that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And if that's true, then I indeed must be very strong. In 1996, my husband had his first affair, and for the next 10 years, I dealt with his unfaithfulness. In that period, we were separated twice and reconciled twice. Knowing that the person who had promised to love and cherish you had chosen other women time and again, made me question the very fabric of who I was. Was I not smart enough, or pretty enough, or thin enough, or good enough? But I asked myself, what is the good thing that can come out of this bad thing? So I embarked on a campaign to work on the ways that I had contributed to my marital problems. I went to counseling. I went to a Christian recovery program. I learned how to recognize and let go of the anger that was always just burning a little bit below the surface. I realized that holding on to resentments was keeping me from living a joy-filled life. I learned how to forgive my husband for all the anguish of his infidelities. And believe me, forgiveness was not easy. I really worked at it. But when I finally stopped allowing my past hurts to continue to hurt me, I was also able to let go of trying to fix my husband. I turned that job over to God, and I was finally free. Little did I know that I would have to learn to forgive again. The next five years of marriage were the happiest of our 36 years. So I was stunned when my husband told me that he was going to prison for embezzlement. My whole life changed in that instance, not just who I thought I was. My dreams for the future and retirement were over. My financial security was over. And the marriage that I'd fought so hard to save was over. Being an innocent ex-spouse did not shield me from being dragged through the legal mess that my husband had created. Even five years later, it seems that every week a new legal problem emerges. Lawsuits, limbs, an IRS bill, an unpaid credit card. I faced a choice of how I would handle this, especially with my grown children. I knew that they would take their cue from me. I'm sure I could have played the victim and tried to make them choose me over their father, but at what price to them? But instead, I decided, and it was a choice, to forgive my husband again. It was difficult enough dealing with the mess he created without having the added burden of unforgiveness. About a year later, after I learned of my husband's embezzlement, and just four days after the news of it had hit the papers, my son Walton died 
of a drug overdose. He had struggled with an addiction to painkillers for many years. He had tried to get sober on his own, but was never able to for very long. He had died, almost died earlier from a drug overdose six months before. I had the same realization with my son that I had with his father. I was powerless to control his addictive behavior. While his father's deception hurt many people personally and financially, Walton's drug use ultimately led to his death. I asked God, what's the good thing that can come out of this bad thing? It was much harder to find, but simply the process of looking for it helped me to see so many good things that I would have missed in my sorrow. This is really not a story of pain, but a story of hope. If you are patient, there is indeed life on the other side of pain. There can even be joy if you look for it. My stewardship of pain is really the story about the power of God to change lives, and my life in particular. I am not the person I was 20 years ago. I am much less judgmental and more understanding. I have learned to forgive quickly and not harbor resentment. I have learned to not hold on to things and people quite as tightly as I used to. I have learned to be grateful for what I do have instead of being sad about all that I have lost. I have seen God through all the people that have walked alongside me during these last few difficult years. I believe God has helped me be a good steward of my pain in return. God has helped me to help others who are also in pain. I would like to close with a verse that has been meaningful to me, Philippians 4, 12, and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus.
his feet. Mark that miracle of time, God's own sacrifice complete. It is finished here, the cry, Learn of Jesus Christ to die. Early hasten to the tomb, dark in our world this week. Our hearts are heavy for Christ Church New Zealand, for the families of the 49 people who were killed while they were worshiping at their mosque, families who lost dearly beloved children, mothers, fathers, grandparents, siblings, husbands, and wives. God, surround them with your love and your strength in the days ahead. Be present with them in their pain. We also pray for our Muslim neighbors here and around the world. Surround them with your strength and your light, that they might know that we stand with them. They are not alone. Be present with them in their pain. Our hearts are heavy closer to home. We lift up Blake and Mallory Herridge, Max and Merrill, as they surround Blake's mother, Merle, in the final hours of her life. Surround Merle with your love and your comfort. Surround her family with strength for each moment. God, be present with them in their pain. We pray for Ethan Molnari, one of our seminary students who has taken the semester off to be with his father, who was recently diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer. God, surround Ethan and his family with your love and care. Be present with them, even in their pain. We pray for Nathan Porter, who was taken to the ER yesterday with heart attack symptoms. We thank you that he is okay and that doctors were able to give him new stints to keep him healthy and strong. We pray for Nathan as he regains his strength and for Leslie as she cares for him. Be present with them even in a time of pain. And our hearts are heavy in this place as we enter into 
a season of learning to steward the pain that we have so often tried to avoid. We lift up those people and situations that haven't been named but are sitting on our chest nonetheless. Oh God, be ever present, ever near, even in our pain. Our hope is in you. And so now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Tracy Crouch says she knows what it's like to feel alone. The British lawmaker told Time magazine that after giving birth to her first child in 2016, despite having a network of friends, family, and a wonderful partner, she began feeling cut off from the world. And it wasn't a new feeling either. Tracy suffered from depression six years earlier when she first became a member of Parliament. As she looks back on that time today, she says it felt like a very dark place, a very lonely place. Some of these experiences are actually what led Britain's Prime Minister to appoint Tracy to a new role last year as the country's first Minister for Loneliness. The Prime Minister felt the need for the position after a report came out that more than 9 million people in Britain around 14% of the population express that they often or always feel lonely. Now, while Tracy Crouch may be the world's first leader tasked with addressing loneliness, countries all around the world are beginning to look at loneliness as a major public health issue. In an article in the Harvard Business Review, Dr. Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General here in the United States, shared that loneliness and weak social connections are now associated with a shorter lifespan, similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity. This coming from the Surgeon General. A similar study at Brigham Young University found that social isolation and loneliness can increase our mortality risk by up to 32%. Now, while our cell phones and technology are intended to help us become more connected with one another, I think we all see how the reverse is actually becoming true. Research at the University of Oregon has shown that loneliness is more pervasive in societies and age groups where social media usage is the highest. Another recent study by Cigna, one of the nation's major health insurance providers, found that 54% of their patients said that they always or many times feel lonely, which is much higher than the percentage in Britain, actually. But what was perhaps most surprising to them was that younger generations are actually a lot lonelier than older generations. Members of Generation Z, born between the mid-1990s and the early 2000s, had an overall loneliness score of 48.3. 
Millennials, just a little bit older, scored 45.3. By comparison, baby boomers scored 42.4. And the greatest generation, people ages 72 and above, had a score of 38.6 on the loneliness scale. You see, you can be a senior adult living alone in a nursing home and feel incredibly lonely. And you can be a young person navigating where in the world to sit in the school cafeteria and have never felt more alone than in that moment. You can be a single adult and be incredibly lonely, but you can also have been married for over 20 years and never have felt more alone. You can be by yourself and feel lonely, but you can also be sitting in a room filled with people and never have felt more alone. Because loneliness knows no boundaries. So when is the last time you felt alone? I realize you probably didn't come to church this morning for the pastor to ask you to dwell on that question. And yet that's what we are doing together this Lenten season at Calvary. We're asking ourselves the hard questions about our pain. Because the reality is that most of us would much rather hide our pain or sweep it under the rug, deny it, or run away from it than bring it out into the light. And many of us spend a lot of our time and energy doing just that, sometimes without even realizing it. But this Lent, we are endeavoring to approach our pain a bit differently. What if we brought our pain out from hiding into a safe place, lit a candle, and just let it be? What if we sought to be good stewards of our pain instead? Because I believe that even in our places of deepest pain, and even in our deepest loneliness, as we will talk about today, Jesus meets us there. Last week, Allie shared a powerful sermon about how God meets us in our grief, and she led us into Jesus' grief in the garden If you weren't here, I hope you'll get online and listen to it this week. And today we are picking up right where she left off in Matthew 26. Jesus is in the final hours of his life, grieving what's about to happen to him. And he asks the disciples to stay awake as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Bert Burleson, the university chaplain at Baylor, recently pointed out that Jesus is asking his disciples to do more than just physically stay awake in this moment. Because he said anytime we hear about someone sleeping in the New Testament, we should also hear that they are spiritually sleeping. They've closed their eyes to what is happening around them. And so in this moment, Jesus is saying to his followers, would you stay awake to what is happening in this place? Would you really be present with me in this moment. And yet when Jesus comes back to him, them, he finds that they are asleep. And he's angry. He says, could none of you stay awake with me for just one hour? And he asks them again to stay awake 
pay attention, to really be with him in these difficult moments. So Jesus goes back to the garden a second time to pray. And when he comes back this time, they're asleep again. But this time he doesn't even bother waking them up. He goes back into the garden a third time to pray, knowing this time that he is completely alone. There's no one keeping watch for him. There's no one with their eyes turned toward what's happening. There is no one with him in what will become the most difficult final hours of his life. Now, what's especially troubling about all this is that all throughout chapter 26, Matthew goes out of his way to point out all the different ways that Jesus is with the disciples. Jesus tells them that he will keep Passover with them in verse 18. He takes his place at the table with them in verse 20. He goes to Gethsemane with them in verse 36. Really, all throughout Matthew's gospel, from the moment Jesus came to be our Emmanuel, he came to be with. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And so Jesus spends almost the entire gospel pouring himself into the disciples and investing in his time with them. And yet, in the moment when he needs them the most, they are not with him. Scholar Douglas Hare writes, The Gospels are not interested in probing deeper into the psychological pain that Jesus must have experienced. But since he was truly human, he must have suffered that night almost as much from his friends as from his enemies. Because he expected nothing from Caiaphas. But did Peter really love him so little to not be with Jesus in his final moments? I can't imagine how lonely, how defeating that must have felt. And so if you're in this room today feeling lonely, if you feel alone, if you feel as if the closest people in your life, for whatever reason, haven't been there for you, know that Jesus felt this way too. So what do you do when you feel lonely? You and I can do so much to try to stuff our feelings of loneliness. We can post the most beautifully filtered Instagram pictures you've ever seen to make it look like we are having the time of our lives when the reality is there's a loneliness deep within us that we just can't ever seem to fill. But that doesn't stop us from trying. We can try to fill that void with so many things, with food or fun or alcohol or sleep or shopping or technology or mindlessly scrolling through our social media so we don't feel so alone. And while there may certainly be some worthwhile things we can do when we feel lonely, nothing we do can ever quite fill that void. On Thursday morning, around 7.30 a.m., I got a phone call that our fellowship hall had flooded again. <laughs> Except this time it wasn't because of rain. This time it was because of 
an old toilet that keeps running behind the chapel. It had been running all week and leaking all week, and all that water had to go somewhere. And so it had been dripping down through the building until it finally found its way into the corner of the fellowship hall floor where it all landed. So I talked to our property chair, Paul Wash, on Thursday morning, who has been wonderful with so many building needs this year. And he said, do you know how to reposition a toilet bowl flapper and turn off the water connection to the toilet? (laughs) And I said, no, Paul, I do not. I had to Google these things to figure out what they were. (laughs) But Paul graciously talked me through all of it, and after a quick YouTube tutorial, I felt slightly more confident in my capabilities. Except what I discovered was that we had a more serious leak than we realized. No matter what way I positioned or repositioned the flapper, or twisted or turned the connection to the water pipe, it would not stop the tank from leaking water. And I was thinking about that this week in light of loneliness. Because you and I can position and reposition, and we can twist and turn ourselves every way we want to try to fill the void of loneliness. But sometimes the problem is just too great, and our techniques to fill that void are never enough. Henry Nouwen calls these techniques devastating expectations. He says when we are impatient, when we want to give up our loneliness and to try to overcome the separation and incompleteness we feel, we often have devastating expectations. But we keep hoping that one day we will find the man who really understands our experiences the woman who will bring peace to our restless life, the job where we can really fulfill our potentials, the book that will finally explain everything, and the place where we can finally feel at home. But such false hope leads us to make exhausting demands and prepares us for bitterness and dangerous hostility when we start discovering that nobody and no thing can possibly live up to all of our expectations. But instead of trying to fill the void, instead of having devastating expectations, did you notice what Jesus does in his loneliness? When he realizes that the disciples are asleep and the reality hits him that they just aren't going to stay awake with him, He goes back into the garden, and he prays. And he does this not once, and not twice, but three times. Each time he realizes his disappointment, his anger, and his agony over the disciples falling asleep and leaves him alone, he goes back into the garden to pray. And so I would offer to us today that one way we can steward the feelings of loneliness we experience in life is not to stuff them with devastating expectations, but instead to be willing to meet God in these spaces. As Henry Nouwen puts it, we must find the courage to move from the desert of our loneliness to the garden of solitude. 
You see, I truly believe that one of the best ways we can steward the very real pain of loneliness in our lives is to challenge ourselves to enter into a very real place of communion with God, with the only one who can fill the voids within us in ways that are long-lasting and transforming. Because in the garden, in times of solitude with God, there's no hiding or pretending. It's completely vulnerable. It's quiet. And if we are brave enough to allow ourselves to go there, and even more so to sit with our pain and to say, Father, I wish this cup could be taken from me. But if it can't, not my will, but yours be done. If we can do that, I believe it can be some of the hardest and rawest but most transformative spiritual work with God that we can ever do. And so as we end today, I would like to create a small space for us to begin to do that. In lieu of a prayer spoken aloud, we will take a few moments of silence to simply be present with God, bringing whatever pain we carry with us and trusting God to meet us here in this moment. Raw, real, with whatever we carry with us today. And so let's take a few moments to be still and to meet God in this place. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses and he with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever that whatever pain you carried with you into this room today, Jesus meets you here in this space. 
But Jesus does something more than to meet us in our pain. He reaches out his hand and he asks us to trust him and to follow him. And so if you would like to talk with someone about what that looks like to follow Jesus, even when life is hard and painful, we would love to talk with you about that today. Maybe you'd like to become part of our faith community where in times of darkness and light and everything in between, we seek to follow Christ together in this place. Maybe you want to take another small step to steward your pain and to light a candle around the sanctuary today. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to visit with you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Forever with the Lord. 
love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed we shall meet at last. In you I journey with Jesus toward the cross, we pause for a moment today and come to the table where there is food for the journey. God, we admit that following your path is never easy. It seems that you never take the easy way, but we often try to make it so. Forgive us of our blind stumbling and guide us back to your path, your way. You answer sin with grace and you always guide our wayward steps toward home. You are mending for the broken, belonging for the outcast, strength for the weak, and pardon for the sinner. You reveal your kindness in every sorrow, your mercy even in death. Now, O oh God, we remember Jesus. He fasted and prayed. He was tempted and tried. He relied on you for everything. He was obedient to you and scorned by the powers of this world. He confounded the haughty and gave hope to the humble. He was betrayed and deserted in his time of need. He died between thieves and was buried in a borrowed grave. But you, O oh God, gave him new life. He lives even now, our healer and friend. He loved us well, loves us still, and loves us to the end. And so today we come to the table to remember again how the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, on the night when he was lonely, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so come, Holy Spirit, come, even in our pain, even in our loneliness. 
and whatever we carry with us into this room today, you are the God who makes all things new. And so in the sharing of this bread and this cup, may we know the living Christ who is with us now and to the end of the age. Friends, you are invited to come to the table. strength 
You're my defender. You're my refuge in the storm. Through these trials, you've always been faithful. You bring healing to my soul. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I am not alone. No, I am not alone. You will go before me. 
Well, there is so much going on as we look forward toward the end of the spring semester. I hope you will read that announcement sheet. Take that with you. It has lots of great information about what's coming up. A few highlights are Wednesday night activities are coming back again this week. Um, but please note that we are going to hit pause on our Wednesday night meals for the spring. Um, we'll still have a space to eat together, to bring a brown bag, and we'll still have uh, some light snacks for anybody who needs something to eat to get them through the night. Um, but we're going to be reevaluating and reimagining this time and would love your feedback on what that could look like. Today, tonight, actually, our small groups are beginning for this series. And as I've been saying for several weeks, if there's one thing I've learned about being a good steward of our pain is that we can't do this work alone. It happens in community. Um, And so you'll see the sign-ups for all the small groups. We have groups that are meeting Sunday nights through Thursday nights. I hope you can find one that works for you. And I hope you can engage in these topics with us in a deeper way. Next Sunday evening at 5 p.m., we will be ordaining our very own youth minister, Allie Chapel DeHay, to ministry. And I am so looking forward to that time. I know all of us have been recipients of Allie's ministry in this place, and this will be a time to affirm her and to pray with her in that. So I hope you'll come back next Sunday evening at 5 p.m. And then, as is our tradition when we uh, celebrate Lord's Supper, we also take up the Samaritan's Fund offering. That's a fund that goes toward emergent needs in our community and in our congregation. Our social work intern, Alice Fry, does a beautiful job leading that team. And this is a fund that's used often and well. So thank you for giving generously to that. Well, please uh, take your worship folder and look at the, the back benediction. And we will be offering these words as a benediction today. Let's share them as a blessing with one another as we leave this place. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and you are precious in my sight. Amen. Go now in peace. Amen.